Hello and welcome to the 2020 International Dublin Literary Award Shortlist Podcast, part of the International Literature Festival Dublin. My name is Jessica Trainer, And I'm Caelan Hogan. In this special podcast series, we will explore each novel in detail as we chat exclusively to the authors shortlisted for the award, the winner of which will be announced on the 22nd of October. For the first time, the winner announcement will take place as part of International Literature Festival Dublin, which, like the award, is sponsored by Dublin City Council. Celebrating 25 years this year, the award is the world's most valuable annual prize for a single work of fiction in English or translated into English, worth €100,000 to the winner or winners. On today's episode, we are discussing History of Violence by Edouard Louis, published by Vintage. Edouard Louis uh, is a remarkable voice in French literature. His first book, End of Eddie, came out in 2014, when Louis was only in his early 20s, and it was explosive when it first came out. It, it is deeply autobiographical, it speaks about uh, the homophobia and violence that Edouard Louis experienced growing up um, in northern France in a, a working class community, one that um, was experiencing sort of factory shutting down, layoffs and uh, deep poverty. And when Louis actually approached publishers about that first book, they didn't believe that that kind of poverty was still was real. They didn't believe that it still existed in France. And so History of Violence is his second novel, uh, one of three, and it is also an autobiographical novel uh, that explores the experience of a very brutal sexual assault um, in Christmas, during Christmas in 2012. This book came out in translation in 2018, and it seeks to understand the impact of that assault, but also the experience of going through the criminal justice system and, again, the very f various forms of violence uh, that Louis experiences both growing up um, but also uh, in the wake of the assault, the racism and homophobia within the criminal justice system um, and the sort of violation almost of having to tell his story over and over and feeling that his story was not his, that he didn't have control or consent over it. And the structure of the novel really raises some of those issues because it is told through uh, the narrator, Edouard, overhearing his sister Clara speak to her husband about what happened to him with all the judgment and disbelief imposed on that narrative. And so she sort of takes his story from him in the same way that the police take his story from him. And uh, the assault happened um, after he had gone home with a man that he met on the street, um, a man who is from Northern Africa, from Algerian descent. Uh, but the police immediately you know, think that he's an Arab. They take that. That's their uh, conclusion. And um, 
as much as Edouard Louis tries to speak about the complexity um, of what happened and, you know, the fact that this was at first a consensual uh, experience and one that was very intimate and they spoke about their families and uh, it was a moment of connection uh, that then turned violent and turned into an assault. Um, and so we see the struggle with uh, between the, that systemic violence and as a victim, as someone who is the victim of, of a crime, um, being subjected again to sort of forms of violation within the system. And so it raises some, I think, really important questions about how our system uh, is violent in itself and the way that violence is expressed then within personal relationships, um, the question of consent uh, and the way the, the experience for victims of, of telling their story of survivors um, and that burden on on both survivors of sexual assault, but also marginalized communities to always try to sort of prove their story or, or be forced to speak. Uh, and so through through this novel, he really sheds light on all these various um, forms of violence. Um, and it's it's a really compelling and important read. Mm, I mean, even in the short extract I'm about to read, there is this sense of, of one person's victimhood being moulded into a tool for the oppression of somebody else. And this notion about, you know, how, how do marginalised communities support each other when they're constantly under attack from external forces? I described Reda first his brown eyes and black eyebrows. I began with his eyes. His face was smooth. His features were soft yet rugged, masculine. When he smiled, he had dimples and he smiled a lot. The copy of the report that I keep at home, drafted in police language, refers to an Arab male. Every time I see that phrase, it infuriates me because I can still hear the racism of the police who interviewed me later on that 25th December. I can hear the compulsive racism that, in the end, seemed the crucial bond between them, the only bond they had, apart from their too tight uniforms, the only glue that held them together, because for them, Arab didn't refer to somebody's geographic origins. It meant scum, criminal, thug. At the police station, I'd given a brief description of Reda when they'd asked, and immediately the officer on duty cut me off. Oh, you mean he was an Arab? He was triumphant. Delighted would be an exaggeration, but he did smile. He crowed. It was as if I'd given him the confession he'd wanted to hear since I walked in the door, as if I'd given him proof that he was in the right all along. He kept repeating it, the Arab male, the Arab male. Every other sentence involved the Arab male. I told Henri about my night and went to lie down on his bed. He pointed me to his bedroom in the loft and I climbed up and went to sleep. I hadn't slept in a long time, apart from a few naps with Rada. I think it's so clear that because as well of, of Edouard's sexuality, there is judgment on him as a victim. Even at one point in the novel, he speaks about, uh, you know, during the assault, I mean, he was strangled. There was an attempt to kill him. And he speaks about if he had died, how it would have been discussed back home um, in his town. You know, the, the, the judgment, even after he had died, mm -hmm. that would have been leveled against him for bringing a man home. Um, and so 
this blaming of 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 a victim, but also um, again that that judgment and discrimination that's so inherent in the system comes through. And uh, Edouard Louis's uh, most recent uh, book um, is called "Who Killed My Father," and it is about his own father. He had a very difficult relationship with, uh, and he speaks about how that masculine violence, that patriarchy, sort of formed his father but also the difficulty with his his political views um the racism that he acknowledges within his family within that community uh and trying to understand the forces that have shaped him but also the the way that the you know the government and and the state have abandoned his father uh and abandoned his family and have uh created this situation where people feel that uh, they are no, that no one cares about them. Mm. That they they don't even exist to the state, um, uh, even though that they are victims of, of sort of constant violence and and inequality. Mm. Uh, and so, and he's adapting um, some of his work to the stage. He has been so. It's very interesting to see the different ways he's engaging um, with these issues and fiercely political and uh, you know unashamedly political. And showing how, again, the personal is political. Mm, And I think those complexities are particularly suited to dramatisation. You know, those situations where a character finds themselves in an impossible double bind. Um, And I'm really excited to hear Edouard speak a little bit more about it. So let's go to the interview. To start, I think, you know, you're both in two different places. Tell us uh, maybe where you are at the moment, um, Edouard, and uh, how has the last while been for you with the pandemic? I know you've been working on a a theatre adaption of your latest book, Who Killed My Father. Uh, How have the last few weeks been for you? Uh, It has been very intense. It has been like, for me, a a way of discovering a new life because I'm a, I'm a writer, but for the first time there is a director, Thomas Ostermeyer, the German director, who asked me if I wanted to perform as an actor in his adaptation of my book, Who Killed My Father, that Laurenstein also translated. Um, and, um, and so it was a whole new life that started. It was extremely intense, extremely um, fascinating like the response like from acting to writing like the difference is so big between both of them clearly i was like seeing people every night talking to people having like an immediate response to what i was doing so it was very fascinating and unsettling at the same time but also for me it was very experimental like a way of experimenting um how to push um um, a, a kind of like autobiographical politics uh, until the extreme, you know, like first writing about uh, from my own experience and then acting about my own experience from an autobiographical book and sharing it with people. And and frankly, it was wonderful. And every night, like if, every night people were talking about themselves, I would go outside after the after the performance um, like and, and, and people were writing and were telling me about their fathers and talking about like masculinity and things that they, they experienced and okay I'm, I'm 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 talking a lot already but what i mean is that <laughs> just for me this is like the one of the the great power of autobiography is that it makes other people talk you know the more you talk about yourself the more the more you make for other people the possibility of saying i of talking about themselves too you know because it's so in in a way it's so difficult to say i to say i exist you know there are so many people who are 
crushed by society and everything. For me, it's always strange when people say, oh, nowadays people are more and more individualist. People want to talk about themselves. People want to say I all the time. And my, my diagnostic is the absolute opposite. I think in this world, it's so difficult to say I, to say I exist. I am here. It has been so difficult for people of color, for women, for LGBT people, for so many kind of people. Um, and, 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 and so like in this kind of autobiographical experimentation, suddenly you feel that for so many people, it's suddenly possible to say hi. And, and so I just loved it. And, and, and the way, like doing this in a theater, make it even more like immediate, you know? And, uh, so it was emotionally very, very um, interesting experience, like political and artistic at the same time, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's an instant connection, and especially with you being on stage and, and the material being autobiographical, you know, there just is, it opens up this vulnerability, I'm sure. And I think people connect with that and, and want to become vulnerable themselves in some ways or to open mm -hmm. up themselves uh, mm -hmm. so and it's a very powerful thing and I think you know with the pandemic it's amazing that that's going ahead and I'm sure mm -hmm. people are very eager <laughs> to go to the theater and to uh, you is know that happening right right now it, it was happening like the, the last uh, during the last uh, three weeks and now it oh just ended God. yesterday so oh, I wow. took I took a I, I, I took a plane and now I'm in Greece to rest after these three very very intense uh, weeks. Um, I, I, I had no like, idea. I, I, <laughs> I didn't realize. That's amazing. And Lauren, <laughs> so, where yeah. where are you speaking to us from? Where are you based at the? I'm moment? in New York, where we don't have any theater yet, except mm. on, yeah. The same in Dublin, where we're uh, sort of under a local lockdown at the moment. We can't go outside of our county, uh, so sadly it's not come back. But there's been a lot of sort of uh, creativity around creating different spaces and engaging not only online, but, uh, you know, through different mediums. It's been interesting how the pandemic has opened up those spaces. Um, and so uh, History of Violence, um, the book nominated is... Uh, one of three books that came out in 2016 and all three books are quite deeply autobiographical, deal with your own experiences and um, maybe tell us a little bit about, because it, it does engage so much with the place that you're from, Halincourt in, in northern France and um, your sort of experience of growing up there and the different forms of violence, homophobia, racism, economic inequality, that sort of shaped your your childhood and um, your growth as a writer. Uh, and maybe tell us how you came to start writing about that experience and why it was important to you to to write about violence and, and the truth of those experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was um, as if I didn't choose it in a way, you know. I, I felt like kind of... Uh, forced to write about those experiences of um, experiences of like uh, sexual violence, class violence, um, uh, um, family violence, also like being trapped in families that you didn't choose and like facing uh, some very tough situation, what it is to be born uh, gay in a in a family where like um, the, the masculine values are the most important and where my father was built upon um, his rejection of, 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 of homosexuality, of uh, sexual, what he would call sexual deviance and everything. 
And so I, 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 I faced that because I was born in this little town, in this little village in the north of France. And as soon as I started uh, writing, I, I could, I, as I said in the past, I, I, I felt that I couldn't afford fiction, you know. I had witnessed so many things I had to write about. And if I, I, as soon as I would try to, to write fiction, I, I had a, a kind of like um, sense of shame, you know, of writing fiction. And I'm, it's not like a statement thing. It's a shame to write fiction. But me, with my body, with my experience, coming where I come from, I, could, I just couldn't do that. And at some point when I started writing, I remember... I, I tried sometime, you know, to like to make up a story and everything. And I had like the face of someone like my mother who suffered like masculine violence for her whole life, um, who faced like my, my, my violent father telling her during her whole life she had to stay home. She couldn't wear makeup. She couldn't work. She had to stay home, make food for him, wait for him all day long and everything. And, and it, you know, as, as soon as I would try to start a line of fiction I had like the face of my mother and I was thinking like if I'm not writing about her no one will write about her like never you know she will die and she will disappear and there won't be a single line about her and about her life you know and so I had to kind of like yeah necessity to to do this and so I started to write about my experience from my own experience about my sister in the history of violence. She's like the core of the story. My, my sister who faced more or less the same destiny as my mother. And, and I went from there, but, and, and at some point while writing, um, uh, I, I realized that autobiography had a, a kind of like very strong power of confrontation, you know, that, that autobiography can confront the reader in a very interesting way, you know, because when you are reading autobiography, it's more difficult to escape what you are reading and what you what you are seeing. You know that it's true. You know that it's happening while you are reading it. And there is something always almost beautifully unbearable in autobiography, you know, because people have to face, they can't just say, oh, it's a beautiful character. Oh, and what a style, what a writing style and everything. They can they can say that, but they have to confront what is going on. And 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 for me, to, these days, this last couple of years, there, ha, there has been like a very, what I w what I see as a very interesting avant-garde movement, of, of of a kind of renewal of literature through autobiography with people like Claudia Rankin, with people like Ocean Wong, with people like Karl of Knosgaard, with people like Annie Ernaux in France, with people like the, the um, Tiny Easy Coats. Like there is really something happening. And, and people completely like remodeling what is autobiography and making making it very artistic, making it very political and everything. And 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 in a way, while writing my books and while writing um, History of Violence, I I kind of um, felt this power, you know, that, that that the autobiographical writing had. And I remember when I I I. I, I, I published History of Violence. Some people didn't want it to be true, you know? And they told me, but there is a little bit of fiction, right? And if I was saying, no, there is no. And there was something unbearable because they were forced to see something, to, to, to face something about racism, about social class violence. About, and, and, and what I want to do, I want to, I want to, I want to continue exploring, you know, this, 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 this path. Mm. And I think, um, yeah.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, in our in Ireland, we've sort of had that as well. We've really had a surge of autobiographical writing that it, you know is political. And it deals with issues of female sexuality, female bodies, Sinead Gleeson, Emily Pine. So it seems like in this moment, it's a very important moment for that, and people are finding ways to engage with the political through the intimate, through the personal. Uh, and it strikes me, you talked about your mother, and I read in an interview you mentioned that your mother said that, you know, that, that she and, and people like her were seen as fictional people uh, and and were disregarded. And so writing about that reality, and that was something many people had been confronted with in France. You said with your first book, when you sent it to publishers, that they didn't think readers would believe it, um, that the reality of economic hardship in the place where you grew up. Uh, so it really was a process of of sort of asking readers to confront that reality. Absolutely. When I I, I sent my uh, first books to to the publishers, they they were telling me, but it doesn't exist anymore. You know, like this kind of poverty doesn't exist anymore, and it existed like a long time ago, like in Zola time and everything, but it doesn't doesn't exist anymore. And it was exactly the core of the problem, you know. It was, it was one of the, you know, late motive of my childhood. People like my mother was always saying, "No one care about us. No one talk about us." And at the end, people didn't know that we existed. You know, they didn't even know that we existed. They didn't know that like this kind of poverty, this kind of exclusion in France, in a rich country like France, in a, you know, in an imperialist big rich country like France, that this kind of such realities would exist. And 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 for me, like writing was all, also fighting against this invisibility, you know, and 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 also to, like trying to be fair, clearly, because fighting against this invisibility doesn't mean to uh, pretend that the people from this milieu, that the people from my family, that the people from my childhood, I, it didn't mean to pretend that they were like wonderful and nice people and good people. It's not because you are invisible that you are a good person, you know, and 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 in a way. In, in the way that sometimes like literature or cinema or arts in general talk about poor people, talk about um, uh, excluded people in, in, in a way of like showing that they are good and authentic and nice people because they suffer. It's another way of making them invisible, you know, because you substitute a caricature to invisibility, but a caricature is just another kind of invisibility, you know? And and and, and I, had, I, I felt that writing about French uh, lower working class, what is under the, the working class, what Karl Marx called the lumpen proletariat, like um, people who didn't even work at the factory or anything, like people who are trying to survive with welfare and everything. I had the impression that I had to fight against so many uh, degrees of invisibility. And sometimes this invisibility went through a discourse. It doesn't mean that people don't talk about poverty, but they they talk about it in such a wrong way that it's another manner of making them disappear. And for me, one of the one of the strong things when I met Lauren Stein and when Lauren decided to publish my book in the United States and to translate them, suddenly there was someone who was um, uh, taking uh, into consideration those people, you know, like Lauren was like um, um, 
so fair in his understanding of, 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 of this milieu, of this class. He was not doubting what I was saying. You know, he was like trying to, um, we had discussions about it and trying to figure out and to see what was going on. And, 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 and of, of course, to, to, to make this reality and make these people and make people like my mother visible, um, it needed some, it took some people like Lauren to make, to make that possible, you know, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a long struggle. It's a long struggle, in fact, because you, you face a lot of uh, resistance. You, you, you face a lot of like people don't wanting you to, to show that, you know, like I had so many attacks in France, so many people insulting me just because I was showing a reality. It's strange, right? Mm -hmm. Just because people, when they are, they are confronted to this, they, they are forced to ask themselves, what do I do? You know, what do I do against this poverty? What do I do against social violence? What do I do against social domination? And suddenly they realize that they don't do anything and they feel bad. So they want you to shut up. They wanted me to shut up, you know, and, and in a way like Lorraine helped me um, opening my hands and opening my, my mouth, you know, while there were some like conservative forces who tried to, 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 to shut this mouth and, and, but yeah, it's a struggle to start again and again in a way. Mm -hmm. And and Lauren, what drew you um, to to Edward's writing, and and what what was sort of most important for you in in bringing this to a wider audience? Well, um, I was trying to remember exactly when it happened, Edward. I, I read History of Violence. That was the first book of Edward's that I read. I read it when I was in Paris. I think I just picked it up at a bookstore, um, and. It, to me, the book was undeniable. I wouldn't have occurred to me to doubt anything in it. Um, it was it was so powerful. I found it very very moving, and um, and I hadn't. I mean, Edouard has been talking about the the background of the story, the background that is such a big part of the story. His own his own, the way he grew up, but also the way Edouard talks about dealing with uh, being the victim of a crime and dealing with the criminal justice system. There's, um, it's, it's one thing to say I. I, I would agree with Edouard that, that it's become, recently it's become easier for more people to say I, but when you can say I not as the representative of a ready-made identity, but when you can say I with all of the complexity that is not merely a function of, of your mm -hmm. class position, but also of a, of a really complicated subjectivity. That, that to me was as much um, as undeniable as the rest of it and, and completely mesmerizing and very moving. And I, I, I found the book, it, it obsessed me. And, um, and um, I don't even remember, well, you might remember, I don't remember anything about how we went from, uh, how we actually started working together as editor, uh, uh, how the publishing part happened. I just remember reading the book and falling in love with it. <laughs> and I mean, I think there's probably a, a lot of uh, resonance in this moment when you mentioned the criminal justice system and um, history of violence obviously confronts a very brutal experience of assault and rape um, on a Christmas Eve. And, you know, people's reactions to that and responses and I think the various stages of disbelief that, um, you know, a victim of assault uh, has to deal with and, and um, endure and uh, this sort of ineptitude, the complete sort of 
incapacity of a criminal justice system to really offer a solution to violence um, because the system is sort of violent in itself. I mean, the experience of reporting, uh, you know, an, an assault of even within the hospital of, of seeking, you know, antiretrovirals um, after the assault, the sort of shame and sense of judgment and violence of that system itself uh, it just seems incapable of of sort of remedying or offering a solution um, because it is sort of essentially a violent system in itself. And we feel that, that sort of sense of lack of consent or, you know, violation within that system that, that Edward feels. Um, and I think it's interesting with the current conversation going on about abolition and the movement to change, you know, or, or dismantle and, and fundamentally change the criminal justice system, it has a lot of sort of urgent relevance in this moment. Um, was that something you wanted to to sort of to open a conversation about and to explore? Right. So yeah, there were, there were clearly um, s several uh, kind of levels um, to open up a conversation, of course, about um, uh, sexual violence, which was like a few years ago difficult, and and also as you were saying about that. Like, one of the uh, one of the ideas of of, of 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 history of violence is the fact that um, how can you be dispossessed from your own story? You know, how can you be dispossessed from your own life, from your own experience, from your own narrative? You know, and um, as a, a, when, when it's exactly what you face when you are a victim of, of of a sexual crime. You know, you go to report suddenly. And I remember it's what I described in the book. I went to the police, I faced the police and suddenly like the police couldn't understand anything of what I was saying because they were like analyzing everything through their own language, which was not my experience, you know. So just one little example, the book starts with an encounter. I met this guy in the street in the middle of the night after a Christmas Eve dinner with my friends. It's like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. in the night. And I see this guy and this guy is trying to seduce me and tells me, let's go to your place. Let's make love together. And 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 I, I went to my place with him. We had sex several times. We had uh, we talked together. We said very intimate and, and very personal things to each other. And suddenly he turned mad, like sociologically mad. We can talk about it later in a way. And 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 and, and it suddenly tried to kill me and, and rape me and 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 when I reported it to the to the police, I remember the police telling me, "But why would you invite a stranger to your place in the middle of the night?" You know, and I wanted to say, "But you know, because um, there is a tr in the in the in, in the gay community, there is tradition of encountering each other in the street because for for so many." years and decades and century we didn't have proper place to meet and it was dangerous for us we could be arrested by the police we could go to jail and because of this there is this tradition of meeting in the streets even if there are some bars now but because it's part of our culture and everything and i i was giving a class about like history of homosexuality suddenly to the police but it was absurd you know in that very night and then you report to the police and, and, and the police tells you, okay, um, 
we are go we are going to analyze your body you are going to we are going to find the evidences of what happened to, to your body which would happen they send me to the hospital the hospital is checking my body to see like all the wounds and everything that i had on my body and and suddenly the police tells you okay we are going to use these evidences to punish this person so we are going to use your body and we are going to use the wounds on your body in order to punish someone and you as a victim, you don't have a word to say about that, you know? If you think it's not the solution, if you think you should punish, in which way you should punish, how it should happen, should it happen through a conversation, should it happen through, like, no matters, you don't have a choice. There is, like, a state frame which says for this one, this one, this one, and this crime, this crime, this crime, this person will endure this time in, in, in jail, you know? And, and 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 suddenly you say like maybe it's not the way I want to deal with it. Maybe maybe I don't want my body to be used to put someone in jail for fifteen years. I don't want you to use my flesh. I don't want you to use my skin to do that. But what is my what what is my place in this story? You don't have any. The police told me, and I wrote it in the book. It's one of the core sentences of the book. The police told me, you, this story doesn't belong to you anymore, sir. We are sorry. It belongs to the state because this person assaulting you is a crime against the state. And and I'm, I'm not saying we should do nothing, of course. I'm not saying when someone like rape you and nearly kill you, you just let him go. I'm not saying this. I'm just saying what is the place of an individual and a fortiori, what is the role of a victim in, in her own story or, or in his own story? And, the, and, the, and there is none. And suddenly my, my body wasn't belonging to me anymore. So I'm, try, I'm, trying, to question, I'm trying to question this. Maybe it's, there are some people who will want to punish. Maybe there are some people who will want to forgive. Maybe there are some people who will want to understand. Maybe there are some people who will never want to understand and want to cut completely from the story. But there are no such things. There are no possible um, uh, complexity. The state gives you one way of, of treating it, one way of dealing with it, and the victim has no room for, 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 for her voice or, or for his voice. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's terrible, you know? And if you say, it's, um, at some point in history of violence, I say that to the police that I don't, I don't want to, I, this is not my way of dealing with things. I don't want the person to be punished. And the police tells you that tells you no, and they're get, like lecturing you about the way you should deal with your own pain, you know. And you don't have you don't you don't have the freedom to deal with your own pain. And so, like, my, also my book is a kind of manifesto for complexity and for individuality because we all have different bodies with different backgrounds, with different stories, with different encounters, with different fragments of histories. And because of this, we all have different ways of dealing with pain and with violence. And we should all be able to, to deal in a way that helps the victim at the end. Helping the victim should be the core of the justice system. And, and it is not. You know, I always quote this. Of course, it's a situation that has nothing to do. But what is in, in, interesting is to compare things that are different. But in, in, in his book, um, there is a book of essays um, uh, by Primo Levi, you know, the Auschwitz survivor. He wrote a book called The, the Drowned and the Saved, Les Naufragés et les Rescapés in French. And so there is several essays in this book. And at one point in the book, Primo Levi uh, analyzes the, the letters that he got after publishing his uh, uh, testimony about the camps, about the concentration camps. 
And in so many letters, there are some people who tell him, oh, you are not rude enough with the Nazis. You are not tough enough with the Nazis, as if you are trying to understand and blah, blah, blah. And so like all these people, they didn't go to camps and they are lecturing Primo Levi on the way he should deal with this violence, you know? And he's the one who suffered and they are lecturing him about the way he should deal with this suffering and with this extreme violence that of course nothing can compare. But 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 it's exactly the same structure, you know, in the justice, actual justice system, you come and everyone, like the doctors, the judges, the lawyers, they are all giving you like ways of dealing with it. And you and you and you can't, you can't fix your body, you can't fix your suffering, you can't fix your trauma. So I trust I try to use literature also to give a voice to those voiceless people. You know, we were talking about the voiceless people in terms of class, but there is there are so many voiceless people facing this system, you know, facing this justice system. They they they, they, they try to find the strength to testify. To, to, to bear witness to what happened. And then they're completely crushed by the system, you know? And I remember when I was touring, like in uh, no matter, like no matter the country, Italy, United States, Finland, uh, everywhere. When I was talking with the, to the people about this book, when I was giving lectures about this book and then exchanging with the readers, there are so many people, so many women in particular, uh, who told me uh, I was completely crushed by this justice system, and and no one talked about this, you know, as if everybody was happy with what was going on. Everybody was happy to punish, you know, and as if the only problem was was when the 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 the, the crime perpetrator was not punished, you know, as if it was the only problem that we should deal with. But in fact, I met so many people who were voiceless, and 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 who were much like many more people than I expected, you know. And so, yeah, what is the place of an individual? What is the place of a victim in her own or in his own story? It's really something that we did we didn't start fixing, you know. And it's it needs it really needs a conversation, you know. It really needs something. I, I in some context, in some countries, there were cases of like a, um, a reparation, justice in, 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 instead of like punishment and everything. There are so there were some inventions. But they are not used enough, you know, and, and and all of these things should be questioned, I think, because what do you do? Like if you answer to violence with violence, this is this is not the way it should be done, I think, you know, mm. and uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. I, you, you can feel, I mean, throughout the book, you do speak about that feeling of becoming complicit in a sort of in a racist system or in a violent system or being forced to be complicit. Uh, you know, speaking to the police, their own racism comes through. They assume that um, that Reda is, is an Arab or, you know, just won't listen to the testimony and just assume that is the sort of, uh, you know, the idea or the stereotype that they have. Um, and so the, the racism is very clear in their perspective. And the whole structure of the book, as you say, is around uh, Edward sort of overhearing um, Clara speak about his or retell his own experience to her husband and the judgment and the disbelief that is sort of you know there very clear within her retelling. Um, and then at the end, you know, there is a very honest, I think, discussion of 
the effect of the assault and and confronting one's own sort of racism, um, which becomes sort of a, the sort of product of that assault, um, is something that you you speak about. Um, how was that to to sort of? And I think it's very important to discuss that that nature of institutional racism and how it is, you know, something that we grow up within structures that are inherently racist and how we confront that um, ourselves and how we avoid, um, you know, and how, how the system sort of demands that of, of us sometimes or how do we operate within inherently racist systems um, without mm-hmm. perpetuating that violence ourselves. Absolutely, like it's a, it's because like in 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 a in a in a in a state system which is like a racial and racist state system, uh, your words and your acts and your narrations and your story are used in order to uh, nourish a kind of racist tale of the state, you know. And for me, it was very important to to explore that because, like so many, also so many people, when white people, when they write about racism. They always write like as if it was something uh, outside of them, you know, as if it was always happening outside. But what is our um, um, inconscient and and daily participation into a racial system and everything? It's a, it's a, I think according to me, it's it's, it's of clearly not only according to me, but other people said it before me. It's 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 extremely 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 important. And and so there is this 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 issue in 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 the in, in the book because this guy who tried to kill me who raped me um, was uh, from uh, North Africa. Um, and so as soon as I report, as you were as you were saying and mentioning, the police say, ah, it's because this is from North Africa. And so it explains everything. Now you do, the police nearly told me, okay, you don't need to talk more. We understand everything, you know. And I was like, no, it's what, it's not what I'm it's not what I'm saying. But like, and the police were keep saying, is an Arab, is an Arab. And I was telling them, it's not an Arab. Um, and, and and but 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 they had like the whole explanation, and they were using my testimony, and they were using my voice, and they were using this story, in order to build a racist myth. Which is of course extremely complex because it's not to say, oh, it was a mistake to report and we should let people rape other people or assault other people, and and in fact it's 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 um, it's it's a it's a problem that it's a, a racial but also a social class system. You know, we know like there are some sociologists who, who shows that ninety um, percent uh, uh, almost of the crimes that are being judged in court in France. Are um, uh, perpetuated by uh, poor people, working class people. You know, not because they are violent, not because they are inherently violent, but because they are being put in situations where they are pushed to do violent acts, or they are, or they are in situation where what they do is uh, being punished when, um, uh, uh, like in the opposite, when it's perpetuated, the same act perpetuated by someone from the bourgeoisie is not punished. You know, like a lot of sociologists show that in America, if you are a white person uh, sm- uh, smoking drugs, it's okay, you are just having fun. And you have a black person smoking drugs, you are a criminal and they will arrest you. So like it's it's several levels of, of, of reality that makes that makes this structure. But, 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 but so how can you, how can you do if you, 
if you um, uh, both want to fight against violence in general or sexual violence and fight against racist violence, state violence. And so history of violence is trying to like um, um, explore all these questions, you know, like at the same time, yes, I think reporting a sexual crime is, is, is extremely important. But what, what happens when uh, the perpetuator is someone very poor, someone uh, who suffered, uh, someone who is, um, uh, have been racialized during uh, his whole life. And, 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 and for me also, literature is a way of, of trying to, 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 to ask those questions um, and, and not, be, yeah, not being just like simple and, and caricatural, but try to ask that. And um, you know there is an, 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 a, a, a director, uh, um, uh, um, theatre director called Milo Rao from Switzerland, who now works in Belgium, who did um, he did a play about uh, Ishan Jarfi, who was a young uh, gay Moroccan man in Belgium, who was killed by uh, three or four skinhead guy, like white guys in the, from the north of France. They took this guy in the car. They pretending they were having to, they were going to have sexual intercourses together. They they bring him like outside of the city and they completely killed him. Uh, this guy Shanzafi, and they killed him like like they beated him to death for hours. He agonized um, in the street alone. And so Milohao decided to do a play about this this guy. And suddenly he realized that those guys who killed him, who did like this hate crime, both homophobic and racist crime, these guys, they grew up like in extreme poverty, you know, with, with they, 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 like one of them had, like his father died because of alcohol very young. Uh, his mother um, uh, was uh, being beaten by her husband. Um, one of them was alone in the street for a few years and everything. And so how do you do in this kind of situation? Of course, what they did is more than awful. Like there is not, no words to qualify it. And at the same time, there is this background of violence that you cannot ignore. And, and in fact, when, you, when the state punished these people, it punished a situation that the state created, you know? The state created this um, structural violence, putting these people into poverty, excluding them from school at a very young age. And, and how do you do when you report a crime but the person who committed the crime is someone who suffered his whole life or her whole life, and this is really, yeah, one of the, one of the things that I'm trying to 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 figure out and in 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 the in the book and what is a way of reporting violence without reproducing violence. You know, it's it's really the question. Like in in the 70s around Simone de Beauvoir, um, the, the French philosopher, there was a, a group of feminist women called the Front de Libération des Femmes. And those women, they would help other women to report on rapes and on sexual violence. But when the trial was happening, they would go to court and they would say like, free Gérard, uh, free uh, François, free Philippe. You know? So they, they were both helping the woman to report and saying, you have to report, it's important. And at the same time, fighting a justice systems that were uh, unfair in accord uh, according to them and like this is this kind of complexities i am trying to not uh, answer in my book it's not like full of answers but at least i hope it's full of questions 
I, I throughout reading the book, I kept thinking of Franz Fanon, uh, who wrote Wretched of the Earth and has, you know, written about violence quite extensively. And this quote from him, you know, he says that the settler makes history and is conscious of making it. Um, and he also talks about violence being man recreating himself. I feel like there's a tension between both of those in the book of um, as a narrator, being being conscious in, in giving testimony and reporting a crime of of sort of almost taking that role of the settler of making history of of um, being complicit in those narratives or acknowledging those narratives as racist narratives, but also the the violence that um, that you feel after the assault is sort of. Uh, you talk about wanting to sort of, you know, shake people who look happy. And um, even Rita, I think there's a a sense we're trying to understand where that violence came from. And it comes when his sort of sense of himself is challenged or he's confronted with it when you confront him um, for stealing, uh, you know, and that leads to his sort of uh, almost a crisis in how he sees himself and violence is his way of, of sort of regaining control, I guess. Um, uh, how do you feel about that the tension between those two things? And I think being very conscious of of making history, of, of um, being in a position where both you've been a, a sort of, you know, a victim of that systemic violence um, and that inequality, but also... Um, I guess as you know, as a white man, being also uh, in some sense that that settler making history at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, first there were like um, there, there was a. I wanted to depict a very intimate feeling, these feelings that you just described, which was after after the rape, I couldn't bear happiness on other people's face, you know? It was like an assault against me. I thought, like, how these people dare being happy after everything I suffered, you know? And there was, like, this kind of violence, like, going through me, this violence inside me that I that came from the outside, but that was, like, kind of, like, using my body, you know? Uh, this I was I was I was a puppet of this violence in a way. I I I didn't feel any agency, any feeling or agency of any, or anything. And it took time for me to try to kind of reclaim this agency uh, through writing the books, by example, um, for example. And um, and and so clearly, it's it's it comes back at several uh, points of the book. Um, the 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 the. the, the, the one of the story of the book and one of the reasons why the book is called History of Violence is because it's a book analyzing what uh, Sigmund Freud was calling um, uh, the principle of perpetuation of violence, you know, and and Sigmund Freud was saying something very beautiful. He was saying violence never get lost, you know, it always finds its way. As soon as someone creates a violent situation, this violence will perpetuate through other bodies again and again, you know. And 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 there is my father, for example, in this book. My father grew up in extreme poverty in a remote place in the north of France. His father was an alcoholic. He was growing up with five, six, seven uh, brothers and sisters. Um, uh, uh, no education, no money to eat, no possible to eat every day. And, and 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 at some point, my father became 
a violent person because he was enduring this violence again and again, you know, in in so many ways, and 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 he was reproducing this violence through different ways: his, his homophobia, his masculine identity, um, his his way of treating my mother, and everything. It was because his body was full of this violence, and it was it, like it was external. Analyzing this violence every day again and again, you know, and and it's a kind of this kind of psychological rule and sociological rule is something that we feel every day in our life. It can happen to all of us, you know. You have a very bad day at work, you are very stressed, you are very anxious, and then you go home and suddenly you are rude with someone you love, with the men you love or with the women you love, and you are rude, and then you regret what you did. You know, you say like, why, why, why was I so rude? Because you had such a bad day at work, you know? And it comes out of stress, and, and, and you feel in this very little, tiny, intimate moment with the person you love, you feel this like big rule, which is that, you know, sometimes violence is something that doesn't belong to you, but it can crosses you. It can it can use you. You know, and you are like conducting like an electric current of violence that you didn't choose, that you didn't mean. You know, and so the the, the, the history of violence is dealing with this um, kind of um, uh, uh, circles of violence. And one of the questions is like how to interrupt the, the, those uh, circles of violence. How how could we stop? One of those circles, um, because of, of course it's 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 everything is complicated. And what I was saying, it's not because that you suffered that you will immediately and automatically uh, make other people suffer. It means you will have more chance to do it. It doesn't mean nothing is automatical. Nothing is happening as if we were machines, but it, it has more chance to occur. And because of that, you have a responsibility to 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 interrupt that you know and um and and but but where can you interrupt that circles of violence where are you dominant in your life where are you dominated in your life where do you have power where are you powerless in your life and it's exactly what lorraine was talking about before you know about like the complexity of the subjectivity and the complexity of a person you know and 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 the book is dealing with all that because yes i am white yes i am a man but also I am gay and also I, I come from the lower working class and also I was a victim of a rape, I'm a survivor. And like, and, and, and so I have, my identity is full of so many different things that I'm, and, and in some of them I am powerless and in some of them I am powerful, you know. But, 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 but sometimes like those identities mixes together, sometimes they are incompatible, sometimes they are frictioning each other, sometimes they are, and, 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 and the book is really trying also to ex explore that, you know, when in, in fact, sometimes when I read the papers and, 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 and when I read people talking about the white men, for example, I, I think it's so naive, you know. When you think about someone my, like my father, you know, he was born into poverty. His father was alcoholic. At 35, he was working in a factory. He had his body crushed by an accident at the factory. He could no longer walk and everything. So what kind of man are we talking about when we say white man? Is it a working class man? Is it a bourgeois man? What was his father like? You know, maybe someone will in front of you will be a white man, but you don't know what happened to him. Maybe he was raped by his father. Maybe he was enduring domestic violence during his whole childhood. It doesn't mean make this person a strong person necessarily and a powerful, but this person, as a white person, in certain 
configuration has more power than the others. So this person will have responsibilities in, in, in some areas of her life or of his life, you know. So my father, when he was with my mother, he had a power to stop the violence um, um, towards my mother. So he had situation, but but this is this this all complexity, and it's not like a, a preconcepted and, and a preconstructed identity, but it's a, it's the history of violence. It's the history of like so many fragments of histories that crosses our bodies, and 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 also my body is trying to to reclaim that complexity because sometimes that complexity I feel is very difficult to address because it's so he, it's it's much more easy to think with uh, easy categories you know it's uh, mm. um, but but so yeah i guess uh, so yeah uh, no but violence <laughs> is i i guess intersectional you know in, in that regard and and i think the solutions to it or the responses to it we need to acknowledge that um it's i think it's very important and one thing I think that you you mention in the book that is very important and, you know, it deals with the experience of trauma and trying to, you know, uh, process trauma and, and write about trauma. And um, often we think of telling our stories as immediately cathartic or automatically cathartic in the same way that the sense that giving a, a report to the police will, will immediately be a solution or make someone feel better. Um, and you speak about the burden, really, on on victims of assault, but also on on marginalized people, on black people, on on queer people, to always have to tell their story, um, on always having to speak, and and that you know, in the same way that your story was not your own, and was sort of taken from you, and the feeling of violation and powerlessness because of that, that sometimes there is a right to silence, um, or to at least acknowledge the 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 experience of trauma that can be having to speak, always having to speak, um, and the silence of the system. Yeah, this this, this uh, justice system and this state system, uh, when you are um, a victim of a certain kind of violence, they, they push you to talk about it again and again. It's what happened in the history of violence. You know, I report to the police and then they tell me, okay, you have to tell your story to the doctor and then you have to tell your story to the judge and then you have to tell your story with your, to your lawyer and then you have to tell your story to the judge again and again and again, you know, and, 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 and. And what if you what if you don't want to talk about it? Like what 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 is the option? What is the possibilities that the state give you? You 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 don't have any in a way. Like in in so many countries, I don't know about all the countries, but like in countries like France, you have to tell that story again and again. And for me, there is an, an extreme violence in this. You know, like when you have to when you have to carry a violence that you didn't choose. When you have to to carry a stories that you did not choose you know you you have to carry a pain that you did not choose and for me there should be a kind of like fundamental right for people to not address a story that they did not choose you know a kind of right to silence and once again of course it's very complex because clearly you you know me a little bit what i want people to testify i want people to scream i want people to go in the streets i want people to demonstrate i want people to to talk and I want people who suffered from I don't know like masculine violence or racist violence of course I want as many people as possible to to show up and to stand and to talk but at the same time I understand 
when people don't want that. I didn't want that. You know, I was so tired of, of, of talking about this story. There was a kind of like political fatigue of like being in a position where I had to talk about this rape again and again. And I was saying like, what if I don't want that story to be my story anymore? You know, I didn't choose it. I don't want that to be part of me. And, 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 and it's, yeah, it's some things that it's, um, it works for the justice system and for that story, but it's also like more general, you know, it's uh, like politically speaking. I, there, I heard so many people saying in their life, um, oh, you, you know, now the gay people are less and less committed. LGBT people are less and less committed. They don't go to demonstrate. They just want to be home with a family and a dog now, like straight people. And, and, and um, uh, why don't they go? And, and, and I always want to answer, but why isn't it straight people who go to the streets to fight for LGBT people? You know, because because we di we didn't choose to we didn't choose to, to suffer. It's the straight society that makes us suffer. You know, it's not we don't choose that. So we 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 shouldn't be forced to do it. And again, it's so complex because at the same time I want people to do that, but <laughs> but but also I, I want people to have the right to say I don't want to talk about that. I don't, I don't want to. Speak Peak. I have the right to not to not carry it, and what 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 would be politically speaking, what would be a positive appropriation is for me um, an, an important question. You know, we we often talk about appropriation in a wrong in a wrong way, like in a violent way and everything, but I think it could exist some like something such as a positive appropriation. I wanted someone to take my story on his shoulder and on her shoulder. Of course, I want this person to tell the story in a, in a right way and not in an homophobic way, not in a racist way. But I wanted someone to, to take my story from me, to steal it from me, you know? And, and, and how could it be possible institutional, in, in, institutionally or politically or socially? Um, what, what, which ways could be used in order to allow this positive appropriation for people who survive a crime that they that they did not choose, and 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 for me, it's um, yeah, it's it's something that we need to uh, once again that we need to that we need to address. You know, I, I always I always quote this scene from uh, William Faulkner, uh, Light in August, where the character Joe Christmas is he has um, is um, people think that he has black blood. In his veins, and so he's always the target of racism and of um, racial violence. And at some point, there is a scene in the book where uh, Joe Christmas walks in the black neighborhood, and suddenly of the city where he is, and suddenly he wants to escape. You know, he doesn't like he doesn't want to carry that story. He doesn't want to carry his community, uh, more or less. He doesn't want to any escapes. And I remember giving this this book to a friend who is like an activist um, uh, against racist violence. And and he told me, I remember he told me, but if everybody's like Joe Christmas and if people are escaping, no, nothing will change. And I understood, of course, what my friend said, I think is absolutely right. And at the same time, being a survivor of violence, I always, I, I, I always understood this scene of Joe Christmas wanting to running out from this story because yes it can be so difficult to 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 carry it and so that's one of the 
points of the book, right? I'm sorry, I'm very talkative. No, no. I, and I think, I mean, being being in Athens, thinking of you being in Athens right now, and, and I think what one step I think that needs to be made is acknowledging the forms of violence that have become normalized, the systemic violence that we accept. And, you know, you're, you're in Greece. I think the European, the EU policies um, of migration that have caused, you know, such violence and suffering for people seeking protection in Europe um, is one form of violence that we have just come to to see as normal and to see as policy. Uh, you know, we're very quick, I think, to criticize the the you know the the migra- immigration policies in in the U.S. and the rise of the far right and the you know the the racism um, within that, but we don't often acknowledge the violence being done in our own names um, in terms mm-hmm. of the policies against um, people seeking protection in Europe. My, yeah, my people uh, dying every day, like thousands of people, and. Uh, and yes, as you say, we all wake up and we live with this violence and we kind of accept it, you know, and it's an, it's unbearable. This idea is unbearable. And, 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 but it's not only a question to the, as, uh, because we are talking about books and we are talking about literature. It's not only a question to the politicians. It's also a, a question to the artists, you know. I, I ask them the question, like, what are you talking about? What are you writing about while this is happening, while all these migrants are dying in the sea, you know? And and frankly, sometimes when I open um, a bookstore and I, I look like all the books that were published, I am outraged, you know? I am ashamed for literature. L- literature makes me ashamed because I'm thinking like, what are you writing about, you know? You are writing about like when, when your father bought you a bicycle in the center of Paris in the little bourgeois cute neighborhood where you grew up how can how dare you writing about this you know like while migrants are dying while almost one woman is dying every day in France because of male domination while LGBT people are being like um, imprisoned in Chechnya what are you writing about and for me I I write in a way I feel that sometimes like other people that I admire a lot that I was mentioning Claudia Rankin, uh, Anne Carson, Ocean Vuong, and sometimes like these people I have the feeling of writing against literature, you know, because the, I I felt I feel sometimes that the literary field is so shameless, you know. I want to to look them in the eyes and say, how dare you writing about those little bourgeois stories? While all these things is, are happening, of course you cannot write about everything. It's impossible, you know. And 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 and, and the, you can some someone will write about the migrants, and you can ask the person, but why are no, uh, aren't you writing about the gay people in camps in Chechnya? Of course you you can't you can't write about everything. But at least when you see what is going on outside in the world. You should always like address this shame and and use this shame as 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 a tool in order to make literature a different thing, and 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 a thing that that matters. You know, allow allow yourself to be ashamed of what you are doing. You know, because also every every day you write, every day you write you are not doing anything else because you are writing, because writing takes time, because writing is exhausting, because writing takes hours and months and years to finish a book of 200 pages, like take three years of working every day alone at, at your desk every day, like this, this, desperate and, and, and lost and melancholic and everything. But while you are doing this, you are not giving 
water to uh, people who need it. You are not helping people who need help right now. They, are, they can't wait. They can't wait for your book. You know, they can't wait for three years. They need help right now, and you are not doing this. And every line, every sentence I write is my in my books. I promise they are full of this shame. You know, I am so ashamed of not being in the Mediterranean Sea with because some people do it and I don't. I, Edouard Louis, I'm not doing this. I'm not on the boat helping people, rescuing people. And I could do that. We all could do that. But so if you don't do that, you 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 have to, uh, to, to ask yourself the question of what you are doing. And, and if what you are doing can help those emergencies, can help those struggles. And 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 sometimes in, in, in the writers in the literary field, they take it for granted, you know. As if because they are writers, they are on the good side of society and they are on the good side of the struggles. But 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 no, it's it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Being a writer doesn't make you necessarily a good person. And and you should ask yourself what you are doing. And it can mean, for example, that when you write, you can also be an activist, you know, for, like for so many people I admire. And what I try to do is when I write, I'm also in the street, you know, and also it, it helps me confronting what I write to the world and not being just like a privileged guy writing on his, at his desk. I am in the street with the yellow vest. I am in the street with the Comité Adama in France against racist uh, violence and against police violence. And, 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 and the writers should, yes, ask themselves this question. And, and because it's a... Uh, Sometimes you just suffocate in this like privileged as atmosphere, and 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 the lack of uh, I I suffocate from this lack of shame very very often when I see the stories, when when I compare it to what you were mentioning, like this violence, for example, with the migrants in in, in Greece, like the violence that they are they, they are going through. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I I mean I think your work has shown that there there is a huge readership for that that people do want to read you know mm-hmm. about. Um, these realities, and as as a journalist and as a nonfiction writer, it's I think it's refreshing to hear that because I you know often write about um, very difficult things, and it's it's mm-hmm. you, sometimes you feel like who is going to want to read this, or there is a fatigue, um, you know, especially writing about things like Syria or um, you know, historical violence, and you do feel this fatigue. But I, as you say, I think it's incredibly important. Um, Lauren and and Edward, are you working on anything? Anything new at the moment? What is what is next for you, Lorraine? I'm waiting for something to translate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I owe you. I owe him. Are you are you working together on on anything new at the moment? I am. I I, I say to Lorraine that I'm um, trying to complete a novel that I hope he will translate um, because he's just the most generous and most incredible translator and most skilled translator. And um, so I really hope he will be doing this. But it, uh, the novel that I'm writing took uh, more time than I expected as always <laughs> in a way <laughs> and um i have to um, i have to I, I i have to work a little bit more uh i've been rereading what i what i wrote like this last couple of weeks and i'm not entirely satisfied i will never be satisfied in a way i guess but but <laughs> but i need to be a little bit more satisfied in order to <laughs> send it to Lauren for <laughs> for for translation but um, but yeah, but also um, 
on on my side, I have been trying to do different things as we were talking about, like um, theater experimentation, and uh, also uh, uh, working with different kind of artists. Um, I'm 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 tr I'm trying things, so it's I think it's important to to keep experiment. You know, I don't want to become like. A, a writer of the system who writes his uh, book every three years and uh, you know um, one after the other like this first book second book third book I don't I don't want, I'm afraid I, I don't want to become this person so I'm always trying to find a way to escape you know and uh, <laughs> that's 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 what I'm doing <laughs> right well I look forward to reading more and thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk today thank you Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in to the other episodes as we count down to the 2020 International Dublin Literary Award winner announcement. Wherever you're listening from, we invite you to join us for the online awards ceremony broadcast from the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin on the 22nd of October at 11am Irish Standard Time. You can book your free ticket at www.ilfdublin.com and browse the other fantastic events in this year's International Literature Festival Dublin programme.